Welcome to Chicken Space here from central Washington, just on the east side of the Cascades, Lake Chelan Valley. Uh, this flock of chickens, 500 strong now and growing uh, this year and next. This is the adventure of, of uh, starting out with chickens two years ago, getting to this point, uh, being a homesteader with chickens, having a past as a healer and pastor. And, trying to tie that all together, the journey with chickens, the journey with the spiritual life and with healing and sharing that. Thankful to be with you. Enjoy the show today. I know it's a hard road that I'm going. And it's a hard road that I'm on to your home across the ocean. All right, so on Chicken Space today, we're gonna we're gonna go into uh, the flock and we're gonna collect eggs and gonna try to give you a picture of of the happy hens here at the Many Folks Farm. Looking forward to that. And I got some chores to do, build some actually some new laying boxes for the chickens, and uh, after that, there's gonna be garden time when uh, I gotta go pick some weeds, and I'll come back to this podcast. I want to share with you um, kind of how my healing journey. And learning and then uh, becoming a practitioner has developed over the last seven or so years. Uh, share some of the books I've written, some of the uh, things I've become aware of that, I, that I'm interested in now and where I think the path is leading for me in the future. So I'm looking forward to sharing that story uh, over the picking of, uh, picking of the weeds of the radishes and the bok choy and things like that. So enjoy the show. Glad you're here today. I'm so lonesome. It's been a All right. Podcast number two from here at the Happy Hens Chicken Yard on the Many Spokes Farm. And it's getting close to noon, and I'm going to go out and collect those eggs in a minute. And I was just going to do it by myself. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to just make a little podcast out of this. Because my friend Kent did uh, get that first podcast out. And um, it was just a great experience of having him help me with that. And then a couple of friends listening to it and saying, oh, my gosh, we got to, like, be on your farm for a little bit. So now instead of just walking out and picking up those eggs, I thought I would share it with you. I thought I would try to be the eyes for you in this place. I let that goose over there. I don't know if you can hear her or not. She's honking at one of those chickens. But in a little bit, I'll go out and collect those eggs and try to describe what it is to be here and live here under this Washington sky in eastern Washington, looking over across Lake Chelan at those Cascade Mountains. So, as I said last time, there's about 500 laying hens out there. And um, it's springtime, it's the middle of May, and um, this is the time of year when they actually lay the most eggs. They made it through the winter, it was down 5 degrees, maybe even 0 degrees last winter some nights, and those chickens made it. But they pretty much quit laying eggs because they just needed to survive. Um, it takes There's about 70 calories in a regular sized eggs and a chicken eats about 500 calories. So you see that's a pretty huge donation of their energy to make an egg. And I was happy with them just surviving last winter. I was up here taking care of them. I, we don't have a heated building up here yet. So I'd hop in the truck and turn on the motor, heat back up and then go out and do some more with the chickens. And, um, so it's an amazing feeling now to have spring. So, all right. So I'm walking in through the gate now into the chicken yard. And there's a bunch of buckets laying around here. And I realize like someone came up here. Maybe they just look at all those buckets laying around and think, oh, what a slob. I don't know. My brother's really neat. My mom's really neat. My dad's really neat. 
I don't spend that much time being super neat, but I try not to be too not neat either. Okay, so I got in here, and there's all these chickens. I fed them this morning. Like, as I said before, that's one of the special things about this flock of hens. All of the food here is collected food. So for these 500 chickens and then the 360 or so young chickens that are growing up and the 20 baby turkeys, I estimate that right now with this number of chickens, we're saving about 20 acres of land from needing to be planted for chicken food. Because all of this food that we're collecting, it's coming out of restaurants, grocery stores, breweries, and it provides everything they need. A friend of mine just said, you know, I had somebody give me some eggs, but I had to tell them they weren't quite as good as your happy hen eggs. It's an incredibly varied nutrition that they get from this. And I'm looking at the pile of food there um, that they're working on. There's even food from a Mexican restaurant there. So they're getting rice and beans. They get some uh, leftover roast beef sometimes, some meat, they get some vegetables, they get some fruit, they get uh, mashed potatoes, sometimes french fries, sometimes baked goods. Oh, there's a watermelon right there. I tossed it in and normally they break open. This one didn't all the way break open so they couldn't get into it. So I'm going to stomp on it right now and open it up and all those little hands will come running over and start getting one of their favorite treats, watermelon. So they get these treats from the different seasons too. In the winter, there's lots of oranges. In the summer, there's lots of melons and different foods like that. So now I'm getting closer to where we have the three hen houses. But before that, I have to walk by these three compost piles that we have. And that's one of the motivating factors for starting this whole operation was um, that what I've been is gardening for the last dozen years. And uh, to create our own compost and generate our own soil and garden in that way has been uh, really motivating to me. And I thought, gosh, if we had some chickens, we could make our make our own compost that way uh, with the manure from the chickens. I wasn't even really thinking so much of having the eggs. I remember like after we got those first chicks and about six months later, there was this different sound um, coming from there area where we had them at the time and it was like oh we better go check that out and there was an egg it was the first egg we'd ever had from a chicken just two years ago and today i'm going to collect something like 300 eggs and uh so there's these three compost piles that are different ages and uh, that's something i definitely want to share with you more about later is compost um that in a teaspoon or a tablespoon of, of compost there's over a billion different bacteria um, so just in a in a cup full of of compost there's more living organisms than the whole population of human beings in the world by many times over so after i get by these compost piles that uh that are are turning into soil then i got to come by the grain pile and uh, there's probably 30 chickens there that are pecking around in this spent barley grain and this is one of the main feeds they get. It's from a brewery, Icicle Brewery over in Leavenworth. Once a week, I drive there with a big trailer, get a load of it and bring it for them. Um, incredibly nutritious it's sprouted grain, uh, malt for making beer. Um, and all they do is they boil it up, they get the sugars and the starches off of it. And then uh, and the chickens get to, to eat that for the whole week along with all these other scraps that I collect. So when I go by that, then I arrive at these chicken houses. And these are, uh, these are outdoor housing. I have tarps over, uh, over some panels, some metal panels. 
and inside are roosts. Uh, the dimensions are 10 feet wide, they're 16 feet long. They look a little bit like uh, Conestoga wagons without wheels, actually, so we call them caravans. Um, and each, each one can hold 200, 250 chickens inside, and the laying boxes are down on the other end. I'll go around to them, but there's a couple of these, like, random chickens that are laying eggs on the ground. We call them the grounders. So first I have to go into the, these coops and pick up the grounders. There's a couple of those. If they wash up really nice, then we can still sell those. If they don't, those are what we get to eat. We get those, any cracked eggs, and then there's eggs that are too small, and then there are eggs that are too big. We actually get some eggs that are way too big to fit into the cartons. And here's a lady laying down. Oh, you got two eggs underneath you, don't you? Gonna take those, thank you. Got any more? That's it, all right. That was one of our Golden Comet uh, brown-colored chickens. They lay the brown eggs, but she had blue eggs underneath her. Those are from the Americanas. And over here's an Americana, and they're different colors, but you're a white one, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I know. You don't like it when I come. Huh. And there's no blue eggs underneath you, the kind you lay. There's three white ones and a brown one here. All right, so that's what's on the ground in this house. Then we'll go to the next. Oh, there's you over here. So I think you're going broody. I think you really want to lay on eggs and have little chicks, don't you? So they actually have bred that out of most commercial chickens now. The chicken doesn't even want to lay on its own eggs anymore. It's sort of a hormonal thing that happens uh, for, for chickens in the spring. And most of these guys, they lay, or ladies, they lay their eggs and they just go back to eating after a little while and they cluck a lot. You can hear them. But over there, she's been there every day. So even though I take those eggs away from underneath, she's back there every day. So I think she's gone broody. And so she's going to lay there until she thinks it's time for her eggs to hatch. And when they don't, then she'll just go back to being a regular old chicken. All right, so this one doesn't have any chicken eggs. There's a couple of chickens up on their roost looking at me. Kind of, you're like a foot and a half away, aren't you? Eyeball to eyeball, checking me out. What am I doing talking? Normally I'm talking to you guys instead of someone else, huh? So this little hen house is interesting because there are five goose eggs in here. We have a male and a female goose, and they're a year old. So this is the first year that she's laying eggs. And what I've heard is it takes them a while to figure out. So she was laying the eggs, and there was this black chicken, a black ostrilord, and she went broody. Again, very rare, but she went broody. So she got all excited about these goose eggs, and they're, like, huge. They're... They probably weigh three or four times what a chicken egg does. And so she must have thought she won the lottery. And she got all excited about these eggs and she started to lay on them, which would incubate them. So we would have had goslings. But then a couple of days ago, she quit laying on them for whatever reason. And the goose didn't pick up the jog. So I don't think we're going to have little baby goslings this year. I was looking forward to that, but maybe next year. Okay, so now I'm over at the third hen house, and there's some on the ground in here, too. 
So you climb on in here and you try really hard not to bang your head on the roost. And there you can hear a chicken over there yakking at us. There's a brown egg. There's a couple more in the other corner. Pick those up. Oh, yeah, I'm a little bit too close to you, aren't I? All right. Yep. And so down on the end of the box here are what are called the nest boxes. And these are some that we bought rather than build ourselves because you can climb in, the chicken can climb in on the front end, and it's slightly sloped. They like a dark place to lay their eggs. And so uh, when they lay their eggs here, there's like an astroturf mat. Oh, I just heard one happen. Yeah, thank you. Um, they lay their egg, and then the egg rolls out to the back, and there's a little door there that helps open up and collect the eggs. So they're four feet wide, and right now in this one, there's a flap in front, so it can be kind of dark for them because they like a dark place to lay their eggs. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six hens in this box on the left, and there's one standing outside, very proud, walking. And then on the other one, there's three on the outside perch, and there's one, two, three, four hens inside. So these ladies here might be just kind of waiting their turn to get in, or maybe they just laid their egg. But after they've laid their egg, they, they make these noises like you can totally hear them now, right? Like they're kind of show-off noises. And sometimes when one starts showing off, the others, they start clucking too because it's like, oh yeah, I laid an egg earlier. I want to let you know that too. All right, so I'm stepping outside. I was just inside collecting those eggs. Now we go around. We get all the ones that are in the laying box. And because they're laid in that laying box, they're basically clean. And they're very easy to pack. And right now, out of these 500 hands, we're getting something like 300 eggs a day. I just opened up this one single nest box. We have six of them. And uh, we'll, count, we'll count the eggs here. So there's, oh, there's a soft one right away. So that one we'll put off to the side. That's definitely for me for breakfast tomorrow. Oh, there's five. Oh, and then the lady just jumped up on top. She's checking this out. Sweet. Yeah, I'm taking those eggs today. Thank you very much. Eleven. Twelve. Don't jump down on them. If you jump down on them, you're going to break them. Oh, there's another soft egg. Hmm. So, um, we have a couple older hens in here and as hens get older their, their egg shells get thinner and thinner and I've noticed uh, most of the shells are really good there's 18 but um you, know, you get your head back there don't go pecking those eggs and there's a third soft one so um so these older chickens their eggs just shells get thinner and thinner and that's kind of the time when it's it's time that they um uh, they go to the soup pot or wherever they're going to go um, at the end of their egg-laying life. Um, and we're really quite fortunate here because all this food is collected food that, you know, we're not, um, so there's about two dozen eggs in that other one. 
because it's collected food, we're not on this super rigid schedule of having to um, just keep eggs as, or chickens as long as they're like optimally productive. Um, can't keep them too long uh, because, like I said, these eggs start getting really soft. That's four of them today. That's, that's a lot more than normal with these soft eggs. Um, so, probably going to be looking for those older hens um, later this summer or this fall. And, and then uh, be replacing them with new hens. And that's definitely one of the things with uh, farming that I wasn't expecting, like starting these chickens a couple years ago. But, um, you kind of got to learn to live with some of the chickens living and some of them not living for various reasons, but um, it's not uncommon that we come out here and there's a chicken that, that didn't make it, he got sick or something. Or we used to have predator issues, coyotes, hawks, eagles, owls, but now we have two livestock guardian dogs. And uh, since we got them, they have protected our chickens and we haven't had any losses um, from them. There's one day our that uh, when we only had one dog, he ran away for a while. And by the time he got back, a hawk had come down and, and uh, actually uh, killed one of our, our hens. So it's super useful to have have these dogs around here. And they just uh, take them a while to learn. And they used to kind of like to just play with the chickens, and that didn't go too well for the chickens. But now they're just completely calm in here. They never chase the chickens. Uh, they spend their time in the... In the chicken yard, there's an orchard down back, personal orchard where the chickens are down scratching and finding bugs and worms. And then up here um, is the food that we collected for them, the compost pile they love to go around in. And the dogs just spend the day, they're laying around or eating food scraps if they like those um, as well. So, all right, well, we're getting about two dozen eggs out of every box here, and six, so. Um, that's going to be our morning's haul, and then I'll come back this afternoon before I go home and get the rest of the eggs. But the chickens, they do lay most of the eggs kind of early on in the day, it seems like. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Like I said, we got some different kinds here. The blue eggs get laid more in the afternoon. The really big eggs, which is the older hen, they seem to get laid early in the morning. Like they just want to get that done and get back to eating. Um, and then there are also these small eggs which come from the youngest hens. And it takes them a while of laying eggs before the eggs size up. Um, they're called pullet eggs. And those, I don't know, they tend to come early and late. Too, but those are the chickens figuring out what to do. All right, so this is the fourth one. The daily routine here. I joke with people it would have been nice to find chickens that just laid eggs during the week. Um, but that hasn't been the case. It's a seven-day thing. And um, that's like, that's very different for me. Most of my life has had weekends in it. Even when I was a pastor, I was preaching on Sunday, but it was this thing that happened, this weekly cycle. And here it's like day after day after day after day. It's kind of like settling in. Well, i got to talk to the dog. There's another dog. Maybe dog nearby. Bergen, Luna, you stay. Good dog. All right, we have an uh, electric fence that goes around all these chickens as protection, uh, for predators and stuff like that. 
But our dogs are big. They weigh like 150 pounds, the male does. Anyway. They can easily jump the fence, but mostly they've learned to not do that now. With the occasional wander, so I try to keep a good eye on But yeah, this whole thing about it being a seven-day a week event. Oh, little egg just rolled out the back. Come out kind of shiny. And there's actually an antibacterial coating on an egg that a chicken lays. Um, one of the three things that uh, preserve the egg is the cell. Of course, there's the inner membrane, and then there's this shiny coating that comes on and it dries off pretty quick. So you can see it drying now, even as I'm testing the egg. And in a minute, that'll all be dry and it'll be ready to put in the basket. So what I was saying about this seven seven days a week now um, with the chickens for two years. A long time. In fact, I went over 500 days without a break before my wife aunt said, you know, I'll get out of here for a few days. I bought a motorcycle and went traveling for four days. But otherwise, I've pretty much been here the whole time. And so how can you do that? It's like, well, I've had a lot of weekends in my life, but done a lot of traveling. This is a new adventure. This is a new adventure, like to be in one place with this one obligation of tending this flock. And you guys are really talking, aren't you? <laughs> Should have seen that with my cocked head around. Chicken can turn his head way further than we can, so she had her whole beak up in the air looking at me like, what was I talking about? It was her turn to talk. So for me, this opportunity to be like, completely engaged in the, the making of the farm being a place where I need to feed them every day and collect the food every day. And certainly for these couple of years, these first couple of years, it seems like every day there's been something new to figure out. You get one thing figured out, you got, you got it all set. And then, then the next interesting opportunity comes up or something either not working or some new thing you got to do. So I'm liking that a lot. There's the dogs coming over, Bergen and Luna. Guys are doing a good job taking care of things. Well, I wish you could see this basket. It's full of mostly brown eggs, some blue eggs, a couple white eggs. Completely full, very heavy. Take those home later and get them all cleaned up and packaged in a dozen boxes, a happy hen's eggs, and then uh, start getting them to the stores tomorrow. So that's collecting eggs. Oh my gosh. So I told you about that watermelon when I came in. There's about, what is there? There's six chickens right here and they have pretty much cleaned it out. So it goes pretty quick when they find something they really like. And there's some chickens laying down, just taking it easy. They got their full bellies. And a lot of the rest of them are just scratching around. They scratch and peck all day long. Until it gets to be nighttime and they go into those roosts. Interesting thing about a chicken is they can't see at night. So they go, you're gonna stay in here, puppies. Good dogs, you stay. No, you stay. Good girl, Luna. So uh if you ever want to do something with a chicken, it's a good thing to do it at night. It's a lot easier to catch them. We uh we're moving the housing before we had these hen houses. And uh, I remember we moved it and we thought, oh, well maybe the chickens will follow us. 
Well, they didn't. They went like 20 yards with us and we were moving it like 50 yards. And then they went back to, to the place that was familiar with them. And that's, that's something that chickens definitely do. They like their familiar routine, their familiar territory. And if you mess that up, they actually, uh, their egg production goes down for a while. Um, so anyway, they went back to the same place. And I remember Ann and I, we tried to catch them all day long on and off and we got frustrated and we got angry and how are we going to catch these things? And then we did other things. And then it was like, Oh, when the sun goes down, it gets dark. There were raspberry bushes near where they had been. The house wasn't there for them. So they jumped up in the raspberry bushes. We didn't even have to lean down to pick them up. They were just right there at chest level. And we um, picked them up, moved them to the new house. And ever since, like, if we want to catch a bird, it's a lot better to do it after the sun goes down. So there's lots of stuff I could tell you about chickens. And like I started mentioning in the last uh, podcast, that first one that I did, uh, a big piece of what's exciting for me is, of course, to, to share this life that I'm getting to live. It's pretty new for me. Just a couple years with the chickens, 12 years of, of gardening, moving into, like, full-time growing all our own food, but um, you know, what I was sharing last time was how I loved it when many years ago I was a pastor and every week I got to kind of share uh, share that intersection between the community and um, the tradition, the Christian tradition that we were coming out of and my own life experience. And so to be doing that again now uh, is a real treat. And then also to be sharing uh, my experiences with healing, both for myself and helping other people. Uh, that's been a big part of the last six or seven years of my life. Uh, and I didn't know how I was going to do that. Like I write this newsletter, but it's just kind of as hard to like put chickens and healing together. And so here it is. And it feels very natural to have this homestead place that we get to live have these chickens that provide our living, um, developing this as a farm, and then also being able to share from this place, from the beauty of this place, my experience with um, with healing. And so I do plan to do a lot more of that in the future. I was just having a phone call the other day with somebody who was not able to sleep. Anxiety waking up at night and then not being able to go back to sleep. And that's not an uncommon thing. And being able to help that person to find a place of calm to come from. And then also to take care of some of those issues that were stored as anxiety. So... It's actually a very simple method that I came up with um, based on just reading um, how the brain works. It's a thing called memory reconsolidation. And I don't really think I want to get into that too much right now, but definitely something I, I want to share. And I, I hope it's going to be something that um, will be of interest to your life. Because that's part of my life, and chickens are part of my life, compost is part of my life. 
finding a way to talk about all those kinds of things. All right. So the next project I got to do is a project I'm putting together another one of those nest boxes because we have these 360 chickens, baby chicks. They're 12 weeks old now. And in a month or two, they're going to be laying eggs, so they're going to need more nest boxes. And the big deal with those new nest boxes and the housing is that we're actually going to move all these chickens up to land that we bought this winter, that we are now getting ready uh, to have these chickens at. So uh, our friend Rob has been so generous in letting us start this project here. We've and helping him on his land for the last uh, six years or so since he bought it. And, uh, but we've just gotten too many chickens to really keep them here. So we got this land about three quarters of a mile from here. An old cherry orchard. Last time I was talking about taking out those cherries. It's a big, big job. But right now the job is to put those nest boxes together. So they came from Ohio. Somebody figured out these great nest boxes. They sell them all over the country. We bought 20 of them. That should be enough for a thousand chicks to be, or a thousand hens to be laying eggs. And uh, I'll get to that, go get the tools for it, come back. Maybe I'll turn this recorder back on. Like, I don't really know too much how to do this whole thing yet. I guess I'll get more organized as time goes on, but that's good for a start. All right. Okay, well, I got those nest boxes put together earlier this afternoon. Now, um, out in the garden, there's always weeding to do in the garden, so I thought I'd do that and start to talk about healing, and I thought that the best way to get into that would be to um, share the story of how uh, this, how I got involved in healing, because I wasn't expecting that, that's for sure, I'd say since the age of 50, and I'm 50, turning 58 here now, um, the month is kind of when I started around the age of 50. Uh, prior to that, I had been involved for a year or so in something called Landmark Education, which was about um, performance and <clears throat> really making intentional choices in your life and finding out how to carry them out personally in business, uh, all those different ways. And it was very effective, and I was very into it. And I remember we were putting together an introduction to it, and I went down to... Uh, our local spiral store in Chelan and was telling the owner and her partner about that. And they said, yeah, that's really interesting. And, and the stuff that we're interested in now is something called EFT, uh, emotional freedom technique. It's a healing technique. They told me, and uh, you can get this free download online and you can read it and you can try it out. And so I went home and I downloaded this like 70 page thing and I read it and I tried it and it worked. It took care of, oh, I got the cat with me. This is Eddie who's out in the garden helping me. It seems like the cats love to be around you when you're in the garden. Just don't step on the bok choy that I'm weeding, okay, Eddie? Anyway, I read those 70 pages out. Now Eddie just jumped up on my back, and Eddie has very sharp claws. So don't jump off with those sharp claws, Eddie. And and what I found in reading that and using it on some things that I had um, – had strong emotional uh, emotions about, stored emotions, that after I did it, I didn't have an upset anymore. And uh, EFT is also known as tapping, and you tap on these 
uh, acupuncture points uh, on your face your and on your uh, body, uh, your torso, and you say, even though I have, and then you say the problem you have, like even though I have this anxiety about uh, heights or whatever it is, I, I love and accept myself. And each time you tap on one of those points, uh, you say this, even though I have this anxiety about heights, I love and accept myself. And you go through this routine <clears throat> of uh, tapping on all of these points. And then after you're done, then you check and you see if it's different. <clears throat> then you see if it's gone up or down or something else has shown up and you do it again and you keep doing it. And, uh, people achieve remarkable results. And I was so taken by it. It was so different from my experience as an engineer. And uh, I had to like, like uh, just pay attention to it and go like, really? Did I really have that happen, this thing? I even forget what the, uh, the issues were that I was tapping on at the time, but did I really have this thing go away? Like it doesn't bother me anymore. And I had to say it was true, and so I had to take it seriously. And so I actually went and got some uh, standard training, and then I went for a week and got some advanced training. And I was, I was like, you know, this is what I'm gonna do now um, because it's so useful. And I remember uh, one of the early people that I helped was a person who had a fear of heights, and so we tapped on that, and and uh, her fear of heights went away, and she actually went and checked it, and and found that uh, she was able to go up in these balconies that had been distressing to her before. And, and before she left, she, she said, you know, I have this other fear. She said, I, I'm in a relationship now with this guy who has an orchard, and, and I love the guy, and I love his orchard, but we go out there, and if, if I see a snake, I just, I literally jump up on him to get away from the snake. And it, it's a little bit annoying, she said, for both of us. She was terrified of snakes. And so we started to do the emotional freedom technique uh, for the snakes, the fear of snakes. And uh, then I didn't see this person for a long time. But about a half a year later, uh, she showed up and knocked at the door and she said, look, Lars. I said, what's that? She had this jar. It was a clear glass jar, a small one, maybe a mustard container or something like that. And she was shaking it. And inside of it, were uh, the tails, the rattles of four or five or six uh, rattlesnakes that they had killed on the property. She said, look, I'm not afraid of them anymore. So this was remarkable to me. How can this actually be that you've had this fear or this anxiety or even physical issues were being resolved with EFT like chronic pain or stomach pain or allergies or things like that? How could this be? And uh, reading or through all the explanation, listening to these experts who were telling me, it's like that was the engineer part of me that just said, you know, the explanation doesn't doesn't totally make sense. Because they said, you know, it doesn't exactly matter what points you tap on. And in fact, it doesn't even matter if you're tapping on them, if you're just thinking about them. And you can do it over the telephone if you just are thinking about the points and um, you can do it even if a person doesn't know you're doing it. Well, that might all work, but the explanation they were giving was that there's actually this little electrical effect that happens when you're tapping on these points. And so I was like, hey, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, it works, but the explanation doesn't make sense.
And so I was so intrigued that I actually started like a half year intensive reading process, just finding everything I could about uh, how the brain works and uh, how the body works and just reading and reading. And I read a book by Candace Pert, Molecules of Emotion, that um, I really, really enjoyed, got a lot out of it even though not everybody agrees with the findings in the book, but it was a powerful book for me. But then I read this book by Joseph Ledoux. It was about how the brain works, how the amygdala works, the fear response, and their research on that. And in it was a single paragraph where he said, we have a recent discovery in our lab that seems to indicate that for a memory to remain a memory, like proteins actually have to be synthesized again in order for the memory to be stored. Otherwise, the memory will be lost. And I, I read that and it was like, oh, that's it. And they called this memory reconsolidation. This seemed to me like exactly what was happening in EFT, that when you activated uh, a memory that if you interfered with it in a certain way, um, it didn't store in the same way. And typically, we we don't do that. I don't want to get too complex on you all here, but but um, anyway, gosh, it's like there's so much to explain here. But I know that when I explain it to people, it's often just a little bit overwhelming. So, I'm going to do a lot of explaining over these coming podcasts, because for me, the science was really important, like like seeing that there was a scientific basis for this. And so, I started thinking like, okay, so EFT works. I think it works now according to this explanation rather than what they're saying. What would be the easiest way that I could make something, a process? so that this would happen in the brain. And uh, it was amazing how quickly it actually came to me, but it's like, wow, if you just identify a memory and then you move yourself out to a calm state because, because calm as an emotion creates a chemical uh, transition in our body. It changes, like actually over a thousand different chemical reactions happen when we go from stress to calm, we turn off our fight, flight, freeze, stress response. Wow, so like now, we just need to take a pause here. Okay, I've moved from the bok choy and now I'm weeding the radishes. And I actually listened to what I just said, which you can't do when you're up there preaching, right? You're up there and just, just go and away you go. But I actually stopped and listened to it because I'm thinking, geez, this is just going to be too much. And then listen to it and it's like, oh, it kind of makes sense. So I'll continue. Eddie has left, so I'm weeding in peace. Man, that cat has some sharp claws. All right. So I told you like about the emotional freedom technique, which actually millions of people are using. It's incredible. It's incredibly effective. And then it was just this question like, mm, the explanation doesn't actually like make complete sense. There's something missing. And so then memory reconsolidation. So there we are. I'm going to explain 
this process that I became aware of and that I've used ever since and that I've continued to develop for myself both in in ways of thinking about it uh, in quantum and then also in spirituality and enlightenment um, up to and including my most recent book, The River of Life, which is Memory Reconsolidation and Spiritual Enlightenment. Okay, so the technique. Typically, let's say what happens typically in our life. Let's say you have an upset, okay? So you get upset by uh, something that happens at work, let's say. And then uh, when you're upset about it, once you're either going to like normally stay upset and keep obsessing about it, or it's like you say to your friend, you know, let's go get some ice cream or let's go have a beer. Let's just like get away from this. And either way, you have uh, stepped into the upset but you haven't done the next two pieces that will actually reconsolidate the memory or the event in a different way. Like, what if you could do that? That'd be remarkable, wouldn't it? Like, there's this upset that every time you think about something that happened, you know, a month ago or even in your childhood, you you feel that same upset, you feel it in your body, and you think, geez, I'm going to feel that for the rest of my life. What if? I mean, this is what I started working on. What if you could actually remove that from the storage in your brain and you understood how it was happening in terms of what's been discovered about how the brain works? So that's what I was up to. And could there be a super simple process? Like EFT itself is very simple, but you're tapping on all these points. And like I said, I don't think, those are actually the necessary component. You know, like those aren't really the active ingredient. I was after what's the active ingredient. And I think it's a simple. If you identify an upset, if you pay attention to it, let it come into your awareness. You're going to feel the emotion again. So you want to say like, what's the emotion? Is it anger, fear, sadness? Could be something else, but it's almost one of those. All Almost always. One of those, if you're having an upset, she's talking too fast. Maybe I'm weeding too fast. Okay, so you identify that memory, the emotion of it. And if you pay attention to it, you're almost always, not always, but almost always, you're going to feel it in your body. Which in the beginning just amazed me. And now it's just like, oh yeah, that's how that works. So let's say... Um, Let's say just the fear of heights thing again. So the emotion is fear. The issue is uh, you have the fear response when you get on a ladder or in an airplane or something like that. I helped this person early on with a fear of flying. uh, And they were very stressed because they needed to fly from Washington State back east to Canada for a family reunion. And uh, normally just solved the issue of the flight with a lot of alcohol. This time, instead, the person was just completely calm on the flight. But how how that happens is like this. You identify the emotion, fear. You identify what it's about, flying. You identify now, where do you feel in your body when you're in the presence of this fear? And I can't remember what the person said, you know, whether it was their stomach or their shoulders or their heart or whatever. It can be all different places, your jaw sometimes. But typically, if you pay attention, you realize that there's a reaction going on in your body. 
at the same time that you're feeling the emotion. And quickly, why does that make sense? It makes sense because nerve cells and brain cells are basically the same. Your head is full of, of brain cells, these cells that are connected by synaptic connections. And nerve cells just go throughout the body, but they're the same thing. They just have longer connections between them. And so it makes sense that your body and your mind are really so connected um, via via this nervous system, this brain nervous system, which is all one. And so it's very typical that if you identify an emotional upset, you'll have a feeling in the body. So that's the first step, simple. You can do it way faster than I just explained it. It's like, whoa, fear response. Oop, feel that one in my gut. It's about that ladder up there that someone wants me to climb. So if you didn't know ice, the ice method that I'm telling you about, you would you would have a fear response and you would stay in that fear response until the next thing happened in your life to take your attention to the next thing. So instead, let's use your awareness, let's use your attentionality, and let's dissipate the fear of heights. How do you do it? Okay, so you identified this fear. Well, now we need a different chemistry, right? Because these proteins, chemistry, have to resynthesize around the memory in order for the memory to remain a memory. So if you don't do anything different, you get the same chemistry staying in your body, the chemistry of fear, and the emotion will restore, in this, or the memory will store with the same emotion as it had before. If we could change the chemistry in there, well, the emotion would store differently. So how do you get different chemistry? Take your awareness and shift it to a calm place. Well, if you can turn off your fight, flight, freeze, stress response, that fear response, well, then you will create different chemistry in your body. And I'll tell you about that in a minute, but I just want to tell, or how to do that in a minute, but I just want to tell you the rest of the process. So now when you have this different chemistry, there's just one more thing you have to do. You have to put your attention back on that ladder over there that made you afraid. And of course, a lot of people don't want to do that because once they get their attention off it, why put it back on? Well, the reason you put it back on is so that you can go back to that memory and basically give it this different chemistry that you have from this different awareness. And when you do that, that chemistry of calm replaces the chemistry of upset. And it does it permanently, unless you go back in and replace it with something else. But since that fear memory has been there for years and years and years, seemingly permanent, this calm is going to be permanent unless you go in and intentionally change it. That's what you're doing now. You're intentionally replacing the fear chemistry with calm chemistry. Okay, so I called it ICE, this method. Identify the upset, calm as a state of awareness, and exchange. I-C-E, identify, calm, exchange. All right, how do you get to a calm state? Um, I read this book on fibromyalgia that said 
like all the symptoms of fibromyalgia come down to your fight, flight, freeze, stress response, being stuck in the on position. If we only knew how to turn off the stress response, we could cure, we could solve fibromyalgia. Unfortunately, at the present time, the book said, medical science doesn't know how to turn off the stress response. And I read that and it's like, wow, I know how to turn off the stress response. Try this. If your awareness is on the ladder and you're afraid of heights, you're going to have a stress response in response to the ladder, right? Okay, so just now take your attention and locate a single point somewhere. It could be a doorknob, corner of a picture frame if you're inside, top of a tree if you're outside, it doesn't matter. Just look at it. Put your attention there for a second. So here's the secret. I mean, it's not a secret. It's obvious. I don't know why medical science says they can't turn off a stress response. You always respond to wherever you put your attention. Proof? If a tiger jumped into your room right now, I bet you would stop responding to this podcast and you would try to jump out the window to save your life. Your attention would be shifted to the tiger that came into your room, right? Or you're driving and all of a sudden... Something dangerous happens, you stop paying attention to the music in the car or whoever's talking, and you just pay attention to the danger that you have to avoid. Same thing if you move into a calm space. Your body responds to that. And so, if you're looking at the top of a tree or a doorknob or the corner of a picture frame, notice that that's much simpler than your stress about the fear of heights or the fear of flying or whatever it is. And so, now responding to that point, your body actually moves into a, a state of lower stress. Now choose another point. So if it was a doorknob, maybe an electrical outlet, or the top of another tree. And look at that. Two simple things in a row, your body calms down even a little bit more. And now, if you look at the space that's between those points, you're going to put your attention on nothing, on a space that has nothing in it. There's molecules there of air and stuff like that, but just look, it's a space that has nothing in it. Look into the nothing. Put your attention on the nothing. And when you do that, something amazing happens. I've had so many people... Just say, wow, I've never felt that before. And it's this simple to turn off your stress response. To become a response to nothing instead of something. Stress is defined as a response. So stress is a response to something. But when you shift your attention to nothing, there's nothing to respond to. There's nothing for your stress response to, to, to respond to. And so it turns off. Try this. Try it now. Try it off and live from this space. This is one simple way to get into calm. There are many other ways, too. Meditation techniques focus on this a lot. and Anything that works for you is good. Yoga poses, uh, soft meditations, music, doesn't matter. I love this exercise of looking at the space between two points, the space that has nothing in it. 
because it's literally exactly what happens in your your response in your body. When you respond to nothing, your stress response simply turns off. Try it. Notice. Isn't that an amazing feeling? There are people I've worked with who said, gosh, I haven't had this feeling any time that I can remember. And it's that simple. It's just that normally we're always paying attention to something. And so we're always living, most of us, with some state of stress response turned on all the time. I've been doing this work for six, seven years, and I can tell you that mostly I live with my stress response turned off. There are exceptions, but now in my life, they're the exceptions, not the rule. I'd say for most people that I work with, having the stress response on is the rule. Calm is the exception. Turning off your stress response in a way as simple as this, I love this method, or some other method that you have is hugely, hugely valuable for your life, your well-being, your emotional health, your spiritual health, your physical health. Over a thousand different chemical reactions happen in the transition between the state of stress and the state of calm or going in the opposite direction back to a state of stress. So uh, this could be meditation, finding this calm place. What's different, what I don't see very often, and even more rarely explained in terms of memory reconsolidation, is this third step of exchanging the proteins at the synaptic and neuron level of your brain wiring. And to do that, what you need to do is bring your attention back to the upset. Okay, so when you identify an upset, there's a period of time, they say four to six hours, in which um, this possibility of resynthesizing the proteins exists. And after that, the memory is going to glue back in the same old way, unless you do something. Um, like ice or like EFT to make this shift happen. So just bring your attention back to the upset and notice what you notice now. You were feeling fear before. Do you feel calm now? Well, then maybe your phobia is gone. Then it's like, imagine walking up those steps onto that balcony or up a ladder or boarding a flight. What do you feel now? More fear, more anger, or anger, or sadness, you know, maybe you felt fear, and you feel fear, but now it's different, like now it's, you might, before it was just fear of the event, now it's, you might get hurt, I don't know what it is, it doesn't matter, you just pay attention to whatever shows up for you, give yourself the gift of paying attention to what you actually feel, so whatever the next thing is that shows up, you ice that again, until you come to a state where when you anticipate climbing up that ladder that's over in the corner, you feel calm. And then you go over and stand next to the ladder and check, do you still feel calm? Or does some anxiety show up? 
If you're not completely calm, don't climb the ladder yet. Ice, whatever shows up. Identify what you're feeling. You know, maybe you're going to feel sad that, um, gosh, you've missed seeing your relatives because you were afraid of flying. And so you didn't take those flights to see them. And for the last 10 years, you haven't seen them because you've been afraid of flying and you're sad that you wasted all that time. Well, there's no judgment about that. You just ice that emotion now, that sadness that maybe you feel in your heart. Go out between the two points or whatever. I'll share a bunch of different ways to experience the feeling of calm as we go on. But that's a simple one for today. And after you've gotten back to that state of calm, you don't even have to be there very long. Then you go back into the upset memory. So let's say it's that sadness about not being able to fly and see your relative. And you check that. And then finally, it's all calm. Standing in front of the ladder. And you put a foot in the ladder and you see if you're still calm. And if you do, you climb right up to the top. And if you're not calm, then you just ice whatever else comes up. So I'm going to have a lot of stories to share with you. A lot of things to talk about, but it's all this simple. That our brains, when we activate old memories, they don't have to reconsolidate in the same way. You don't have to carry those burdens around in the same way. Most of us have some memories from childhood that have strong emotions still attached to them. And they are the patterns that we developed early on that we continue to live out. Some of them are good, but some of them, gosh, if we could relieve those, what a huge change that would be. Oh, Eddie the cat's back. Hi, Eddie. So, for instance, there are people who've been traumatized and childhood that had PTSD memories, um, this method of ice can relieve whatever's been stored. If we can identify it, calm, and exchange it. So I've helped people with PTSD from various family events or even from work events or health events. A couple people who've served in the wars. And once the memory is identified, it can be in a gentle way too. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be uh, supercharged. Even though they were terrible events, it can be done very gently. Once you identify it, and then you go out to a calm space, and you come back and exchange, you actually can relieve uh, stored traumatic memories help people with physical pain. Why Why does that work? Because if your body's in a chronically stressed state, your body, your whole physiology is going to be responding to that stress. And people can end up with a lot of chronic pain that's purely stress-induced. And if you can actually reconsolidate what the stress is about... Right? So more than just moving to a calm state like yoga or something is fantastic. But more than just getting into calm, reconsolidating 
what the stress is about so that the stress doesn't turn back on. Once you reconsolidate something, you're going to stay in that calm state until something takes you out of it. So if you actually committed to this game of calm, you could become increasingly calm in your life because <clears throat> the things that once upset you, once they're reconsolidated, will no longer turn on your stress response. Like I said, I've been doing this for six or seven years. It's made a huge impact on my life. I've worked with a number of hundreds of people. And for those that like took this on and it became interesting to them, it's made uh, an unimaginable and indescribable difference in their outlook on life, their experience of life, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. All right, so that's a brief introduction to the ice method. And then I've got some more story to tell you. <clears throat> and the story is this. The first book I wrote was called Fibromyalgia Relief. And uh, I actually got to do uh, uh, some tests with people who had fibromyalgia, who were clients at a fibromyalgia center. And uh, I tested with these 40 people, and almost all of them had a dramatic reduction uh, in their pain levels from a single session. So in the first days of using the ICE method, um, extraordinary results. And I thought, oh, well, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna work with people with fibromyalgia. And I wrote this book and I got to work with some people, but my doors didn't just crash down with clients, which was surprising to me because it's like people with fibromyalgia, it seems like it's their, number one priority to get rid of the pain. But the idea that it could be emotionally stored in our bodies um, wasn't, uh, wasn't accepted by a lot of people. Yes, it is physical pain, um, but the idea then that it was uh, physically caused and looking for um, medical cures, drugs, or surgery was very strong for many people. And the idea that it could be uh, taken care of emotionally was um, upsetting to a lot of people because just because it felt like they would be there's something wrong with them. Well, all of us store emotions; they just show up different ways in our body. Some people it's fibromyalgia, different people different things, sore backs, chronic back pain, whatever it is. So, um, wrote that did get to work with quite a few people and had some amazing and wonderful results. I'm very thankful for that. And then I wrote a next book, which was a more general book on memory reconsolidation. And I called it Memory Reconsolidation Applied. So I should do a little side note here, which is that um, researchers are super interested in memory reconsolidation. There's hundreds and hundreds of papers written on it. But the way that they reconsolidate is using um, uh, intervention, a drug intervention to actually block the reconsolidation of the memory. And the way that I was doing it or am doing it is by using an awareness intervention. And yes, chemistry drugs are created in our body based on our awareness. Right? Our cortisol levels change. And like I said, a thousand different chemical reactions happen when we shift from stress to calm. But because they're using uh, drug interventions, 
because almost all of their tests on mice and different small animals, they're not getting the feedback that I was able to get with uh, working with people. And uh, so it's been a different experience for me than sort of the laboratory results, which have been so important, but really so restrictive. So most of the people who are working in the lab are talking about the quote, the potential of memory reconsolidation for healing. And I know for myself and anybody that's aware of memory reconsolidation and working in healing, they're already seeing those results in practice. Okay, so I wrote this book, Memory Reconsolidation Applied, and talked about working with PTSD, physical issues, mental, spiritual issues, a whole array of things that shift when um, we can replace stored upsets in our body with a permanent calm. And had a little book release party, and I was convinced, well, now my business of healing would um, provide my living. And it had gotten to the point of providing like about half of my living. So I was like, oh, here's this book, explains things. People can come and get sessions, get a couple sessions, and I'll be busy. I'll make a living. People will feel better. Like that's how, that's what will happen. And instead... Instead of the business increasing, for reasons I can't explain, the business basically dropped off. And I have tried all different sorts of marketing things to make the business happen. And this time, instead of pushing harder to try to make it happen, I just I just stopped resisting it. And I basically just went quiet. I went quiet and I started to just ice um, pretty much constantly. Whatever showed up that wasn't calm in my life. I had already become aware of um, the ice method and memory reconsolidation in terms of quantum. This uh, sense that there is a field that has all infinite potential in it and we collapse the field and we come into this uh, this state that we experience as our life um, we just paid attention and there were there were all these upsets like you know uh, the anxiety of what if I can't help my kids get through college the anxieties of like what if Ann and I like we can't make the house payment on this house the anxiety of, like, what if we end up homeless? The anxiety of, like, oh, what if I'm not successful? Like, what if I'm a disappointment to my mother and my father? What if, you know, what if my brother is embarrassed by me? And all of these pieces are isoforms of everything that came up. I just iced it. What if I don't make a living Oh, what if I become dependent on others? All these upsets. They showed up and as I identified them, became aware of them. They transformed to calm. They reconsolidated to calm. 
And somewhere after about a year or a year and a half, I found that my life was mostly calm. Not like an enlightened yogi or anything like that, but calm. Like I had iced fear of death, the fear of death. I was okay with that. Iced homelessness. Iced failure. And again, like, not saying like I was a yogi or anything, but it's like, huh, well, what do you do after you're basically calm about all of the stresses and anxieties of life? It's not like other stuff hasn't shown up since then. But to a large extent, it's like, huh, what do you do? Well, the stresses of life are mostly reconsolidated to calm when they're not showing up the stressors anymore. And I'd been wanting to write more about trying and trying during those times to write and actually nothing happened. I'd get started and then it would just it would just stop. It would just just peter out and it wouldn't make sense to me. And then finally when I got through all this stuff and got to this place of calm calm about life, calm about death. I was able to start writing really in pretty quick fashion the book that became The River of Life. It's a book that I'm, like, I really, really, really like that book. It's a book where I got to tie together my experience of life. I got to tie together the science of memory reconsolidation. I got to tie together my spiritual exploration and uh, and was able to publish it. It's beautifully illustrated by uh, Christina Tosik, who has done a lot of ice. And so she was very much um, not just an illustrator, but like a participant in using the ice method in that process. And my friend Kent, the one who's helped me with the podcast, and, um, helped me also with the publishing of the book. He's the, he's the owner, um, the publisher of Blooming Twig Books. And... Uh, and the book was published. And this time it was like, wasn't anything about it that needed to be selling this or that many copies, but just to be able to share it um, was a wonderful thing. And it's a book that I, I think is very worthy of our time and the people who are reading it are getting wonderful um, comments back on it. So very satisfying. It's also a book that I feel like I can... Uh, I can continue to work with into the future. So that part of the story is now part of my life, the river of life. And uh, the other part of the story is that I got some chickens, which I was talking about earlier on. But um, we got these 75 baby chicks, which people thought, oh, man, that's so many chicks. And and got them, as I said, for the garden, for the manure and Oh, yeah, it'd be nice to have some eggs. And we got half hens and half roosters. And so we could, like, um, uh, butcher and and freeze the roosters for our, our meat for the winter. So uh, the piece about it for me, though, was that, like, my interest in having chickens was to have them from a place of calm. To have them from a place of spiritual awareness, of calm 
instead of a stress response. And uh, if you've had chickens, you know that there's like a lot to learn about chickens. And there was so much I just didn't know. But instead of like being a stress response in this race to figure it out, instead of that, my experience was it's like, oh, of course, all the answers are there because it's all part of whatever everything is. All that's happening is I don't know the answer. And so allowing myself to be in that space, that awareness, um, has been, continues to be a place of great growth and um, and experience for me. And like, what does it mean to actually now um, come back from this calm place of just reflection? and come back into action with a commitment to calm. Not always calm about my chickens or about my experience with them, but it's it's what's interesting to me. And a lot of the time, I am. And when I'm not, I have this tool, the ice method, that I use all the time. So that kind of brings us up to the present the story of how memory reconsolidation has been such an incredibly um, big part of my life for these last six years and it's actually how it ties into chickens too. And it's really nice to have this podcast time because you get to listen to it while you're out in your garden and I get to make it while I'm in my garden. And I know that for um, people that I've worked with, a lot of people have said they wanted something so they could kind of hear and be reminded about the ice method. Because when you're in reactivity, when you're stressed, like remembering to come back to calm is not not always the initial um, the initial thing we do, right? We're in stress, and so we respond stressfully. If we can get our awareness out to calm, life will be very different. So people have asked for like, how how could you help me with this? And I put up a bunch of Facebook videos and those are available and there's a bunch of YouTube videos from some years ago. Those are all still available. And now it's like, oh, we could just sort of have a conversation about calm sometimes too. So for those of you who are people that I've worked with and had a chance to share ice with, it'll be fun um, you know, to kind of be back in a conversation. And um, there are times if you have questions on a specific issue, um, of course, we can communicate by email or phone, but you can also make a podcast and share how this works in real time, or I can just tell the story afterwards. So um, now I'm weeding the lettuce. I got the marigolds weeded, the bok choy. I'm thinning the lettuce too. It's uh, called Jericho. It's a uh, it's a romaine lettuce variety that tends to not bolt very quickly because when the weather gets hot, lettuce seeds or lettuce plants tend to go to seed really quickly, and this is one that resists that. And so everything goes well. These little inch high, two inch high Jericho romaine lettuce plants will. Someday soon be sitting on our dinner table. All right. It's been quite a day with the podcast. I've actually had a lot of fun. It's much more fun 
having this conversation than just sitting here alone doing the weeding. I think I'm going to call it good for now. Check in if there's anything else needs to be said. Oh, I guess last time I was talking about preaching and how much I like preaching. And when I did that, there was like no turning off the recorder and like checking it. So today was kind of cool. Just like, oh, I'm afraid this is really boring talking about all this ice method stuff. Checked it. Didn't sound too bad. That'll be part of it. Continuing the story. Yeah. Oh, I guess I got one more thing to say. It's about how every time I've tried something new, I think one of the things I've really noticed is how, at least for me, it's taken a certain period of time to like get the language down. It took a period of time to get the language of healing down, the ice method, to be able to share it effectively. It took a period of time to get the language down to preach or to be able to talk about the Christian faith in a way that made everyday sense, not just uh, you know writing well on a theological paper at seminary. And uh, it's taken a while to get sort of the language of chickens down, the language of, I don't really have it all yet, but the language of, of the, the incredible issue that we waste enough food every every day to feed two billion more people. We waste enough food that if we didn't waste it, we would solve world hunger just on wasted food. We have all these people coming in and we're looking for hugely technical solutions. And like it's just like, oh we could we could solve the problem just by solving waste. And I'm still looking for how to language that. Put out this GoFundMe to get support and help and participation and I realized, you know, I don't really have the language yet. But that's part of getting it, putting yourself out there, trying it just like this podcast. So for all its imperfection, uh, I send it to you and hope that whether you're weeding a garden or driving home from work somewhere or whatever you're doing, I hope it finds you in a good space. There's that little part in this video about how to get to a comp space. Like I said, there's lots of Facebook videos. Lots of YouTube videos. Website is icemethod.com. There's information there. That's for the healing. And the website for the farm is manyspokes.com. So, all righty. Looking forward to next time. Kent, I'm going to send you over to this. You're ama- send this over to you. You are amazing. That first podcast came out. And uh, Kent, along with being a book publisher and an author, is a PhD in music. He taught music um, for years on the university level and a beautiful composer and singer. And so he actually did the uh, the intro music and the, the finished music. It's his own compositions that he put on there. And I'm really honored, Kent, to have you as a friend and to be helping me with this project. Um, deeply grateful. Thank you. All right. To all, a wonderful day, a good night, wherever you are. Calm wishes. See you again soon. Bye. But I'm going, and it's a hard road that I'm on to my home across the Jordan. Will you meet? Well, thanks for being part of Chicken Space today. It's been a good day sitting here with a cat in my lap and a chair resting after uh, getting those eggs. Thanks for joining me with the flock and helping to collect those eggs this morning and then uh, this afternoon being able to share the story of how healing became an important part in my life. 
and uh, how actually that journey of healing has turned into a spiritual journey and a number of books and a process for bringing calm into our lives. So uh, I do invite you to play with that space, the space that has nothing in it, and uh, explore that calm. I'll definitely be sharing more about that and inviting you into that space and and uh, the possibility of living a life from calm instead of anxiety. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with uh, Chicken Space another time soon. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Bye.